How's it going, everyone? And welcome to Animal Talk Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Ferguson. Well, here in South Africa this last week, it's been a waiting game. Uh, We've been holding thumbs and waiting out to hear if we're going to be dropping down to the next alert level for our lockdown. We've pretty much been in lockdown due to COVID-19 for about 140 days now. And uh, we've been waiting to hear if we're going to drop down to the next level, which will allow us to start opening up our facilities to the public. And we got the announcement we were all waiting for, and that is that we are dropping down to that alert level two um, in this coming week. So by the time this goes out as a podcast, it will be officially alert level two lockdown in South Africa. And we will be opening up for the first time to public in 145 days. Yeah, we've all been closed for quite some time. Some of the facilities will be opening up a bit later because they need to get themselves all set up, the much larger facilities. But I think some of the smaller ones will be opening up quite soon. So I'm sure everybody's really excited about that, but also very stressed out about it as well. And I'm really excited to be able to introduce you to one of my very good friends. And this person I've got to know through going to the United States with IAATE, which is the International Association of Avian Trainers and Educators, as well as through NEI, which is Natural Encounters Inc., run by Steve Martin. And at the time, um, when I was visiting the States for the first time, I got to know this person very, very well in both settings in the same year. So I'm very excited to introduce you to my good friend, Amy Robinson. Hi, Amy. So nice to have you on the show. How's it going? Hey, Ryan. It's going great. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. So nice to hear your voice. Yes, it's been way too long. It has definitely been way too long. So, been a little bit challenging for all of us in the industry at the moment with uh, the wonderful pandemic of COVID. Yes, it's been challenging indeed. And being in Dallas, Texas has made it even more interesting for me. <laughs> I am sure. Yeah, we've, we've actually, uh, as we speak, we're about to go on to our next uh, lower level of lockdown. Um, yeah, it's uh, been a very long time and we're going on to a lower level, which means that a lot more places can start opening up and um, a lot more people can be moving around and we can move around different parts of the country and we're not only allowed to be in our little provinces or little states. And hopefully the tourism industry where we kind of work in um, will kind of pick up a little bit as people are allowed to move around, but still no, no borders are open to um, international sides. We can't travel internationally. No one can come here internationally. So yeah, still a little bit challenging, but yeah, looks like we're on, on the stretch home, hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, can't stick around forever, can it? <laughs> yeah, well, let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So Amy, I have my first question that I want to ask you. And it's a question I think we all get asked in the industry at some point, probably a lot more often than most people may think. And that is, what is your favorite animal? Yeah, that's a good question. My favorite (laughs) animal changes almost weekly. Um, But I will say my longstanding most favorite is crows. I love crows. So I'm going to go with crow, Ryan. Crow is a good one. I love corvids. They are really, really fantastic. They're one of the, probably the most intelligent birds I've ever worked with, um, being able to pick up behaviors really quickly. And I know the one that we worked with um, at 
the bird park that I worked at literally picked up behaviors quickly because we trained him to pick up tin cans and put them in a recycling bin. So that was a lot of fun and teaching another one to do the dollar bill routine and uh, taking notes. So I, I think I'm with you on that one. That's a great one to have. I think some of the best lessons I learned as a young trainer was from the crow. The crow, he was so much smarter and faster than I was that he really made me pick up my game and get going. So yeah, I owe him a lot. Right. I, I feel you on that one. That's exactly how I feel about them. And so many lessons are learned from crows and, and they, they push you to the point where you're like, wow, I'm probably going a little bit too slow for you. You're going a lot quicker than I'm going. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember getting mad one day cause it was just me and him and we had all day to be together. It must've been a holiday or something. And I was at the zoo by myself. And I was like, oh, we're going to learn this really awesome thing. And it'll probably take us a few days to do it. And within, I want to say, three or four reps, he had it. And I was like, man, what are we going to do now? We've got all day Onyx. So, yeah, he is definitely, uh, definitely my favorite. That is such a cool story. And, you know, Amy, sort of this podcast for me is about the animals. It's also about how we've all got to where we've got to. So I have to ask you the question. And I've heard some things about where you started um, out doing something that's not really animal related. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, you got to tell us a little bit how this all started, where you started from, what you did before maybe working with animals and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, I was really late getting into the game. Um, I went to University of Georgia and got my degree in psychology, took all the animal behavior classes I could. Um, but every time I would go to a counselor to talk about my future, they would ask me what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to work with animals. And they would go, oh, so you want to be a vet? No, ma'am, I do not want to be a vet. And then she would literally throw her arms in the air and go, well, what are you going to do, work for the circus? And I was like, really? Those are my choices? Zoo? I mean, circus or vet? And so I just kind of got on, got my degree, um, started working in the banking industry. Then I got into mortgages. And before I knew it, I was 30 and I hated my job. I would cry every Sunday because I did not want to go to work on Monday. Wow. Um, and so I had an opportunity to intern at Zoo Atlanta. And so I thought, well, I'll go do that and see if that's where I want to be. Um, I was married at the time and, and that was a curse, but it was also a luxury because he, uh, he made enough money that I was able to step out and try something new and try something that didn't pay as much as I was making. Right. Um, just kind of have that safety net. Um, what ended up happening is I did two internships at Zoo Atlanta and then their position opened up at the bird show. I had never even seen a bird show. I didn't know anything about it, um, but they were like, you should definitely apply. So I got it, I got the job. I also got divorced, which was great. Um, so that took care of that too. Um, but I got the job and I was like, oh my God, I am terrified of talking to people. How am I gonna do this? How am I gonna lose all these birds? And you know, you just, get in it and you start learning and you start reading and you start, I was like absorbing videos, you know, Steve Martin comes to mind as someone who was a huge influence of mine yeah. um, to the point where, and then I got involved with IWTE and that was really, really helpful because at that point we only had 
two people working at the bird show in Atlanta and both of us started at the same time. So we didn't really have a mentor at, at the zoo. We really had to reach outside. And so once we got involved in IAATE and we started uh, mixing with other people who were going through the same challenges we were, trying to do the same things we were, it was really nice to start building that network and start learning from each other. Yeah. So about seven years at Zoo Atlanta and I decided I wanted to stretch my wings and so I went to Florida and started working for Steve Martin at Natural Encounters. Um, did the show at Disney for five years, which was amazing. Uh, started this show in Dallas, went back to Disney. Um, we still had two years left on the contract in Dallas that needed to be finished up. So I was asked to come back. So I came back, finished the contract and then Dallas asked me to stay. So I've been in Dallas off and on for nine years and I've been a Dallas Zoo employee for about six. That is an amazing story. I, <laughs> I you know, just those little front ends of that story where Steve and NEI were kind of your ends of knowing that knowledge. It takes me back to, you know, when I started my, my whole bird training career and that was exactly it. It was just much watching Steve Martin's shows and seeing how, how that all worked. And then if I remember correctly, there was a Dallas state fair show that I may have watched um, just before coming out to the States for the 2012 IAAT conference, and I was also doing a workshop with NEI, and I think I remember watching somebody, it was a tall lady standing on the stage with a talking parrot. <laughs> that was me! <laughs> Probably one of the highlights of my career was doing that, because uh, I watched, I grew up, when I started, I was watching videos of um, the state fair as well and seeing the girl with the talking parrot. And I was like, man, what a great job. How did she get there? How'd she do that? Right. The first day I walked out on that stage with Groucho and I came back, I was in tears. I was so happy. I was like, I made it <laughs> here. <laughs> That's so cool. And I, and I remember thinking, oh, wow, I, I really need to meet this person. And boom, I did. Um, you, I don't, I don't remember if you were at the ranch when I was doing the workshop, but I think you were at Disney at the time. Um, Probably at Disney. I didn't I'm, spend much time at the ranch. Yeah. I met you, I met you behind stage at Disney and spent a little bit of time there. And then it was off to IAATE and then I got to know you even more there. Um, and I can't believe that's eight years ago already. That was February, 2012. That's just really crazy. That's another thing, Ryan, is I got so involved with IAATE that I ended up being um, the secretary. So I was on the yeah, executive right. for four years, I believe. Yeah, that's so cool. It, it's amazing how you make these connections through your, your career and it sort of molds your career as you go along and yeah. you kind of find new stepping footsteps into, into different places. And yeah, it's mind boggling yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. So I was sifting through some of your old photos on your social media because <laughs> I was trying to look for some inspiration of things that I can ask you, even though there's tons of things. Um, but something popped up and it looked like, I think you were at uh, Zoo Atlanta, something to do with working with giant pandas. Yeah, um, probably a bit the last year or two that I was at Zoo Atlanta, I've been doing the free flight bird show for five or six years. I felt like I was getting a handle on training, but that it was very limited. 
And so what I started doing was cross training with um, some other areas so that I could learn how to train in a different type of environment and different types of behaviors. So one of the ones I did was lemurs. And one of the ones I did a lot was a uh, giant panda and did with uh, just a lot of husbandry behaviors. And I don't think, I don't think I trained anything new over there. It was more of me learning how you train protected contact and, and working with an animal that size and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, it was cool. I'm sure there's not a lot of people that can say they work with giant pandas. <laughs> it was just for a little baby bit. <laughs> <laughs> Still, that's something. I, I, it's one thing I remember quite clearly, and that was when I was in the States. We don't have any giant pandas in our country um, in any of the zoos, but when I was in the States, it's, you, you queue for hours just to see giant pandas. It's yeah. a really rare animal. Um, and I can only imagine how amazing it must have been to just work with those animals. Even protected contact must have been absolutely amazing and, and really humbling. Yeah, it was so exciting. It was very humbling. And some of the stuff I learned there, I was able to take back and uh, use it with uh, some of our animals, like uh, the eagle. Um, she really liked putting her talons into people. And so we just set it up differently where if you didn't feel comfortable going in with her, you could absolutely shift her over. And up to that point, I hadn't seen anything like that or done anything like that. Um, so it was nice to be able to take what I learned over that giant panda and apply it for the eagle so that we could take better care of her, even when the people weren't there that were the people that she wanted to work with. She would still shift and be able to get cleaned up, fresh water and everything. Uh, didn't have to wait. Yeah, so. I like that. That's so cool. Because that's a lot of the I think that's a lot of the challenges people face. Um, a lot of the time when when working with animals is they kind of get themselves stuck in a routine of this animal is doing this bad behavior, let's say it's a bird. And exactly like that, it's attacking people. And you're kind of stuck and you kind of know, well, we've still got to use this bird or still got to move this bird, but we don't know what to do. And it's just sitting back and taking off those uh, training blinkers and sort of looking outside the box and figuring out what could work better and maybe not looking outside the box, but looking at moving it in a box over. Yeah. Which could work. In fact, Ryan, I just used the same thing at home with my chickens. I got four hens and then one of them is not a hen. And then he decided he didn't want me around the hens. And so I ended up putting in a shift door so that I could shift him in so I could go out into the garden area. And then when I was done gardening, I shifted him out so I could clean the coop. And I was like, you would not be this lucky if you didn't live with an animal trainer, sir. That is the best story ever. I am so excited about you just bringing that up because I have wanted my podcast to sort of also incorporate some backyard chicken keep. <laughs> I think that was a brilliant step in the right direction there. Um, yeah, I think- I was so disappointed when I found out that he was a rooster because he's <laughs> my favorite one. And he would always come sit in my lap and I was like, well, maybe it'll be okay. But I think it's because all the hens are so comfortable around me that they come up to me and he's like, I can't have that. You, uh -huh. You're get out of here. So yeah, that's too bad, but we'll, we'll make it work. It'll be fine, so. So on that note, I think you need to maybe try and give us a little bit of a background into how you actually did that behavior. That might help some of the listeners that might be listening about um, maybe having a rooster problem. I know a lot of people 
do get roosters into their flocks of hens that they have in their backyard, um, either for protection or just for the look of things um, and trying to keep it as natural as possible. But I know um, down here, we do have a lot of predators that tend to cause a bit of a problem um, taking out hens. So having a rooster is quite important um, for a lot of backyard chicken keepers just to keep their hens protected. But they may also have a very similar problem where the rooster is um, a little bit aggressive towards them. Maybe if we could go through that and see how, how we can explain to people what the possibilities are in um, you know, training a behavior and trying to keep that rooster in your flock, but making it easier for you to move around and making it safer for him as well. Yeah, I had started training um, for them to come to a shaker, which is just, you know, a jar with something in it, rocks or pellet or whatever that you can shake, makes an audible noise and they can hear it. And then when they come running to you, you know, throw some feet out on the ground. So I had trained them to come to the shaker before all of this happened, which was great because it helped a lot. Um, and I had a door already between the garden and the coop that I could open or close, but it wasn't set up in a way where I could do it from the outside. I had to go inside. And with him um, changing his attitude towards me a little bit, I needed it. I needed to be able to work it from the outside. And I also needed my, um, if I'm not there, whoever's taking care of them to feel comfortable and safe. So I needed the door to open from the outside. So I set up a pulley system that I could use to open it and close it. So I shake from the inside the coop, they come in, I'm on the outside of the coop, I toss in some seed, I shut the door, and then I go garden. And when I'm done gardening, same thing. I come around, I do some, uh, open the door, do some shaking, they run into the garden, I toss seed into the garden after I'm already out. And um, so that's been really helpful getting them, and they move quick. Chickens, let me tell you something, chickens are smart. They are so smart and they pay attention. So it does not take much to train them to come to a shaker. They're really good about it. Yeah, that's cool. And um, I think maybe a question that somebody might have that I was thinking about. Um, mm -hmm. I remember when I started training, I actually started training a chicken. I went to a training course here in South Africa and um, I had a small chicken that I started training at the, at the workshop. Um, They're probably gonna ask, what is reinforcing for a chicken? Almost anything. <laughs> they like, uh, my chickens like sunflower seeds. They like grapes. They like uh, the, the rind of the watermelon. I'll leave a little bit of that pink on there. They like that. They like cantaloupe. Uh, corn is a good one. So, and then if you have it, crickets and mealworms are great, but most people don't have that at home. Right. Yeah, I definitely um, think that crickets and mealworms will be a very high reinforcement value being very high in protein. So uh, if you are able to get that, I think that would be quite a high reinforcer, but all the other ones definitely give that a shot and uh, use that. And I'm sure um, Amy would be willing to uh, answer any questions. If anybody had any questions, they could always send a mail and maybe she could help out with that. Um, Absolutely. On, on, an, on a different note, Amy, if I remember correctly, I'm not sure how many years now, but you have been cancer-free. Four. Four years. That is four absolutely years. amazing. Uh, August 1st, it was four years. Wow. That is amazing. Um, what, what an amazing story. And just being able to, to say that is something that I don't think a lot of people get the opportunity to say. And, and that's really, really an amazing 
experience. I'm going to say it's an experience because as we go oh, through yes. life, we experience many different things and we experience challenges and it's up to us to wangle our way through those experiences and those challenges. And um, wow, well done. You did a, a great job. Thank you, sir. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, Amy, so working at NEI, Mm -hmm. um, learning all those different techniques of training and all that that you're now using at home. Do you feel like you started with a bit of bad training experience and kind of moved on to more of a better training experience? Um, that's a really good question. I started out with people who are very limited in their experience. So I think the first person I worked for was a falconer. And so in her mind, everything wore dresses, everything got on your arm. And so when we got things in like the Southern ground hornbill and she's wanting to dress him and put him on my hand, I'm like, I don't know if this is a good idea. This yeah. doesn't look like it's something this bird's gonna be comfortable doing. And also that beak is really close to my face. So it wasn't bad training. It was just, she just had a, a smaller lens than what she needed to look at our collection with. Mm -hmm. And after that, we got someone who was also a falconer, but he seemed to have a little bit more experience. And the stuff he taught me wasn't terrible. It was just some, it was a good starting point. And then as I started learning from Steve, learning from Susan, um, you know, going to IAATE and listening to lectures and taking LLA, I was able to take the foundation that they gave me and shape it into what I thought would be better for the birds or better for show or better for both um, or better for us, the trainers, to make it um, more clear on what we were asking the animals to do. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that I didn't start off with terrible training. I just start off, I guess it would be naive. Mm -hmm. Just a very small lens. Yeah. And I think I had the same experience. It's just um, that slight lack of more knowledge um, and being able to bring that knowledge back with me was quite helpful. Um, and I think that was, that was the, the turning point for my career was being able to bring back this amazing training technique that not only benefited the animal, but also benefited the trainers in the long run. Um, and, and being able to train birds to do behaviors that the behaviors kind of stuck and didn't have to be retrained and gone over, over and again, because trust was broken over time due to either catching up or anything like that, but building those trust accounts and making sure that those, those birds had a lot of trust in us, even if we did take a little bit of out. So, yeah, I think that's quite a good, good one is communication and having clear communication with not only the animals, but having clear communication with the team that you're working with, I think is quite key as well. Yeah, and we were lucky. Uh, so when I was in Atlanta, for a long time, it was just Jen and I, and we would get managers in and out. And it was, she and I luckily had started at the same time. And we really just built each other up. We had a lot of confidence in each other. We were very um, complimentary and supportive. And so, we both were like, we don't know what we're doing, but we're going to find out because we want these birds to be happy and healthy. We want a great program for our guests and we wanted a happy and healthy work environment. And so she and I created that and we had 
loads of people come and go through all of that that were seasonal or sometimes full time but the whole time I was there Jen and I were there and she and I were kind of like the mamas of the group and we were always um really lifting each other up and it made a great learning environment because if you messed up you felt so comfortable you're like oh my god look what I just did and then you would talk it out instead of being afraid to share the mistake and then either someone else makes the same mistake because you didn't tell them that it happened right. or you start feeling bad because you're not perfect all the time and we're not I make more mistakes probably than anybody that works for me like it's amazing how many mistakes I can make yeah, and we learn from those mistakes. It's it's so important yes. to make those mistakes. It's like a foundation that you build onto and make sure that you've, you know, you've experienced it. You now know what not to do, um, and you can move forward. And I think one of the the best lessons I've learned over the years, and probably got those lessons from listening to Steve and listening to people at IAATE as well, and getting to know everyone, is just removing that word don't know and can't um, you know don't do that instead of saying those things just trying to say hey how about we do this um, and just reinforcing that um, whether you're working with your team um, and being clear communicating clearly with them or if you're working with the animals that you work with making sure that your communication is as clear as you possibly can make it and that you're putting a lot of positivity into it. Yeah. I think that's key. And I, I remember, I, I will still remember the days uh, coming to Dallas and uh, spending time with you guys there. I think you had just, uh, you'd been doing the Dallas show for maybe a year or two before I popped by there and spent, I think probably a week with you guys, which was amazing. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience because I got to see it in a different form of starting out a bird show with a whole lot of different people that may have not really been part of bird shows in the past and had learned through their experiences with you guys, the, the, the team leaders and going through all of that. So it was great to see their development and now looking at them now and seeing the ones that are still with you and maybe new ones that are now um, there and seeing their shows and how everything's progressed so amazingly. Thanks. Yeah, it's coming together. It's Every year we look forward to more growth, always trying to get better. Yeah, it looks, it's looking really, really great. And I love the audience participation parts of the shows. And that's always been the greatest part for me is, you know, having that connection with your audience so that they then see, you know, the passion and they can be a part of it um, to make those changes and even if it's a small change in their mind of how they feel about a certain animal or a bird um, is so important. And your, your guys' show doesn't only have birds in it. Nope. We also have a capybara, a beaver, rats, sometimes tamandua. So we're branching out to some mammally things. A beaver. That's a new one. I know about the capybara. That was just after I left. But a beaver. How did you train a beaver? She was really challenging in the beginning. Um, she was born at Minnesota Zoo, and I left her up there to wean. Um, I didn't want to do the whole hand raise thing. That's just my personal preference. Um, if, if, if I can help it, I just, I'm not a mom. I don't want to be a mom. So anyway, <laughs> she, um, so when she came, she was not happy. She was um, a lot of tail slapping and, and almost fearful. And she slept all day because they're nocturnal. 
Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? <laughs> um, so luckily we had a show um, on Halloween weekend. We had four nights of shows at night. And after the second show, it was like 7 p.m., I think, I noticed she was awake. And so I went over and started talking to her and tossing little pieces of food in there to see what which ones she liked and which ones she didn't. And then the next night, uh, she was up by 6.30. And so I started working with her again. Then the next night, she was up a little bit earlier. And so I was finally able, after the four nights of Halloween night, I stayed late at work two or three nights trying to get her to get up before I went home from work and so that we could start interacting. And once we got that going, that was really good. Um, she started waking up, you know, around noon or around 11 a.m. And so we were able to start getting multiple sessions. And what I realized with Willow, her name's Willow, is that she is, she doesn't have the best vision and I am terrible at throwing. And she and I had not developed a close enough relationship where I could just hand her food. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up making this target that had a little cup at the end of it. And I would put the reinforcer in the cup. So then I could tap the cup for her to come to that audio cue. But when she got there, I was able to tip it and put the reinforcement like right in front of her. Prior to that, I would either hit her in the head, not reinforcing, <laughs> or I'd slide under furniture, not reinforcing. And I was like, we got to come up with something because this is not going to work. So the tapping worked, the little tapping cup worked and we started going from there, but she does a little swim behavior and then she goes up to a stump and then she goes into what looks like a beaver lodge and behind it is her crate where she gets reinforced. So, and she's been in show now for five years and she almost, she does almost every show. She gets up early. We have shows at 11, one and three, and she's in almost every one of them. It's very rare that she sleeps through a show now, which is really cool. Wow. What do you do if she does sleep through a show? Do you just swap her out for something? Yep. Yeah. If she doesn't want to load, we just take her out of show. And That's sometimes true. she'll fool you and she will be waking up to load. But by the time it's time, by the time it's her turn to be in the show, she's falling back asleep in the crate. Oh, wow. So <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah i think that's one of the one of the most amazing things i've i've sort of picked up with um your guys shows um over the years is you have a backup for pretty much most of your birds and it's because you give them that option to be a part of the show or not and yes. i think that's so vital for their well-being and their voice in the whole behavior because if they that day, like we all have those days where we sort of feel like oh, today is not my day. I'm not going to do very much today. We all have those days. And if they having a day like that, you're giving them that voice that they can say, listen, I'm not really feeling it today. Can I sit this one out? Um, and I think a lot of times we kind of force our animals to be a part of the show because they need to be. And it's challenging. And not a lot of people have that opportunity to have that second animal to, to place into it. But I think we've all got to take that note that in our minds, be mindful about each animal's feeling, not really feeling that part of the show, even though they can't tell us, their behavior is going to tell us that. And it's so great that you guys can swap her out and sort of give her that chance to have her moment and have her time off. Yeah, she also... Uh... We had given her some new brows one afternoon 
And then for like three or four days in a row, she wasn't waking up. And we realized she was like basically partying all night long. And And she was exhausted and didn't want to do shows. So we ended up taking the brows out and using that to reinforce her during the day. So we learned that lesson. That was fun. (laughs) That sounds great. Well, at least you now know there's another reinforcer you can use. So that's absolutely (laughs) great. Oh, wow. You know, there's so many stories and I'm sure you've got an interesting flyaway story. So many flyaway stories. Which flyaway story would you like to hear? (laughs) The best one you can think of. Well, okay. I will say recently during the pandemic, so we have been on, we divided up our team into a team A and a team B. And so they don't cross paths. And that way, if somebody got sick on one of the teams, they didn't take out everybody who works with that animal. So we've been doing this since March 13th. Wow, that's um, a good point. That is a really good yeah, point. <laughs> it, so we've been doing that. And that means we only have two or three people here a day. And we were shut down for part of it. That was a little bit easier because we could get everything done and would not have to worry about shows. But then we opened back up in May. So I want to say it was probably around April. So we've been into it quite a while and the Harris Hawk was acting normal. So we were like, well, let's train her, open the door, let her out. And she took off and we never saw her. And we were like, what, what just happened? She was out Ryan for two and a half days. On the second day, she caught a squirrel. Oops. And yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've never had this happen. So <laughs> I was like, we could be sitting here for months if she learns how to catch baby squirrels. <laughs> she sat with that squirrel for probably three hours and then she dropped it. And I've never seen a bird look so disappointed in her their life as she looked when she looked down and saw that the squirrel was all the way down on the ground. Um, Brenda ran up and grabbed the squirrel and we looked it over and she had pulled fur off of it, but she hadn't ripped into it or ingested anything. And I was like, okay, that's good. Maybe we have a chance at getting this bird back. And by the third day we got her back. Um, but we were up on the roof. It was hot. It was, (laughs) it's Texas. It's so hot. And so that was a fun. Then we had another one with a, um, silver gull who took off. And he had his telemetry on, so we kind of had an idea where he was, but we had to go back and do another show. By the time we got done with the next show, we couldn't hear anything on the receiver, and we were like, oh, dear. So as we were driving around the neighborhood with the receiver, we picked up on him again, and we found him in a bar parking lot admiring himself in a hubcap. <laughs> I could not get him to go in the crate. It was right there, and he was like, he'd start walking in the crate, and then he'd turn and look at himself, and he'd go, but look, I had no idea how handsome I was. <laughs> Please get in the crate. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I will buy you a hubcap if you get in this crate. Right. So that was a good one. Maybe, maybe trying to put a mirror in the back of his crate might have helped. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I lost a bird in a building. Um, we are flying. This is in Atlanta. We are flying the Hawks for the Atlanta Hawks, which is their best skitball team. And we had just started. It was our first year. And we had taken them both over to practice and one did great and the other one did okay. And then he went up in the rafters. I did not see him for two and a half days. Wow. So in the rafters, that hawk watched, he watched a basketball game. He watched (laughs) for ice. 
he watched a hockey game, he watched a concert before he decided he was ready to come home. Wow. That sounds a lot of fun. I think fly-offs are probably one of the most stressful but most exciting <laughs> parts of our jobs. <laughs> Calling my boss's boss and telling him that I lost a hawk in a building was like the most embarrassing thing. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, well, Amy, is he wearing telemetry? I went, well, no, I know where he is. He's in a building. I just don't know where in the building and it's all metal. So the sound's just going to like ricochet everywhere. I was like, you didn't have on telemetry. Yeah, telemetry's not going to work there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. That's great. <laughs> uh, I lost a bird. I know where he is, but I don't know where he is. Yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> that is challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Did and, and you and you finally got it back and all's happy and uh, no troubles yeah. there. Fantastic. I got up in the rafters. This is the third day and it was really kind of foggy up there because of all of the stuff that was going on in that building. And so I'm up in the little like catwalk things, which is terrifying. And out of the smog, I see him coming right at me, and it looked like a movie. I could not believe I would finally could see this bird. He landed on the railing next to me and he was known for like trying to take the food and run. And I could see him looking at my glove, like, how am I going to get this food from her? And I was like, dear sir, you have trained me as well as I have trained you. That's not going to happen today because I am scared of being up here and we are going to go home <laughs> and got on the glove and behaved himself and we got him secured and took him home. It was Christmas day. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> great, great way to spend the day. Yeah, the best present ever, though. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Getting the bird back is probably the most reinforcing part as well. Yes. Yeah. Amy, it has been amazing chatting to you. I have had one of the best chats thus far. This has been really great and catching up and learning all different stuff and uh, hearing what's been going on is is always the best part. And I think it's the connections that we make through, through our careers that kind of get us to where we, we feel more comfortable just chatting about absolutely anything. And, and that's the great part about this. So, uh, yes. yeah. If you guys have uh, any questions for me or Amy and uh, any ideas of more topics for podcasts, please let us know. Uh, it's animal.talk201 at gmail.com. Send us a mail. Let us know what you think. And yeah, keep safe, everyone. And I hope to uh, have you guys listening in on a lot more. So thanks for listening. And remember, animals are our passion. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, absolutely. We did it. We did a 40 minute, almost a 40 minute one. So that's, that's perfect. Mm -hmm.